The Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at different facets of how cycling fits into our lives. How goes it, Celine? It is going very well, Patrick. How are you? I'm just fine. Uh, we're starting to have some East Coast-type heat, although I can't complain about East Coast-type humidity. Um, what is summer like there currently? Summer is, man, summer is full effect this year. We are having like 100% July weather. It's hazy, hot, and humid pretty much, pretty much every day. Um, and it, you know, they keep promising like thunderstorms and it'll break and it never breaks. But, uh, you know, I, I, I I like the heat as long as it doesn't go into those triple digits, (laughs) like, it's it's very it's summertime weather like kind of how I knew it as a kid so I, I'm happy with it yeah it's good it's good <laughs> good deal all right uh, yeah well I know better than to complain <laughs> yes uh, until until this place though it gets on fire. really hot though right it, I mean it's really hot yeah though. I mean it was 94 yesterday you know it'll be it'll be in the 90s when I do the dirt crits tonight. Um, you know, it gets you guys have the dry thing though, right? Yeah. Then don't you worry about fires? Like nobody here is worried about fire because it's still all green and it pours enough that we don't. Oh yeah, no, there are I think yeah. three fires, you know, within a two-hour drive of me. <sighs> you know, uh, yeah, that's scary stuff. Uh, yeah, as long as we don't catch on fire, I know to just shut up and be happy. <laughs> so, uh, fair I'm enough. I'm going with silent and hat. Well, okay, scratch the silent part. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, how about you be first uh, up today? What's your poll? Uh, what is my poll? Well, as you might know, it's the Tour de France time. I had heard that. You heard that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rumor has it, it. There's this race in France. Um, anyway, so my poll is one, Patrick, that I feel should not be controversial. But yet I feel kind of like my poll is a little controversial mm. in that I have been enjoying watching the Tour de France. Like I wait, what's the problem in that? <laughs> well, so okay, so I know there's corruption, I know there's doping, I know there's unfairness, maybe outright cheating, probably definitely outright cheating. It bothers me that you know the women can't get even a fathom of the or a fraction of the coverage that the men do. Mm. So I'm keenly aware of all these issues, and I know some people, and maybe yourself, I think, might have expressed that you didn't have great enthusiasm, you know, after. Perhaps the Chris Froome. Am I am I wrong on that? Oh, you're not. I thought you're, I, you're not wrong. I, yeah. I'm out. Okay, I'm out, so, but that's me. You know, please continue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, so <laughs> please. So I I I've seen yourself, other people expressing little enthusiasm, maybe outright boycotting to that point. But me, I ponied up, I plopped down my cash to NBC Gold, and every morning I f- fire up my coffee and my feed, and I, you know, it, it's like the Olympics. I just 
I've seen Icarus. I know the stunning levels of systemic corruption, but I can't help but to get sucked up into the human competitive experience. Like, you know, and for me, maybe that's what it's all about. Like at the essence, when you strip down all of this, in my mind, we're still watching human beings with emotions and passions and talents and weaknesses push themselves to the limits And you watch this human drama right now with the Tour de France play out all over the French countryside. Um, You know, and I've been watching it for decades like this, through doping scandal after doping scandal after doping scandal. And while women continue to not even get a short end, but a splinter of the stick of cycling. um, But I still love it. And with each passing year, I find myself like questioning if I should be questioning that love. Like, am I a bad person for enjoying the Tour de France, despite all the flaws and corruption? Would boycotting make any difference? Uh, I mean, Patrick, if you were to boycott every dirty sport, you'd never watch another sport. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you no, would shut off. Totally true. Yeah. Yep. You, you would shut off the World Cup, tune out tennis. Let's not even talk about our ball sports like baseball and American football. So, you know, in my mind, where, where do you draw the lines? Like, what is the correct action to show your protest over what you might find un, unjust while still appreciating the essence of this sport? You've got to have some thoughts on that. Oh, one or two, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, here's the thing. We live in a world where there's so much to be outraged about, no matter what your personality is, no matter what your political leanings are, no matter what sport you love. We have plenty of things to be outraged about, for for people to boycott, for people to be upset about, for people to piss and moan about. Um, yep. So, I mean, it's not like we, we lack in sources, okay? We, we're rich in material. Um, <laughs> you know, and the thing for me is, well, why should anyone pee on your good time? I, you know, you're enjoying the tour. okay. Fine. You're enjoying the tour. Good for you. I wish I But I could. guess they think that I'm part of the problem. No, you're not right? part of the problem. No. I, I, you know, the moment the you know, the moment the audience is indicted, people have lost the thread. You know, I okay. I I don't think you can blame the audience. Um, especially because, you know, one of the things that I have talked about overwhelmingly in my doping coverage has been the fact that the audience is clear. We want a clean sport. The problem isn't with the audience. Overwhelmingly, everyone says they want a clean cycling. What we get is this other thing from the UCI. It, clearly, it's the UCI that's the problem. They are not administering the sport in a way that gives us a high degree of confidence that it is a clean sport. The, what sucks for me so bad is that easily this is the clear, cleanest period in cycling there has ever been okay there are more clean cyclists racing right now than at any other point in time in the history of the sport of that i'm convinced the problem as i continue to say is that i have no idea if it's 20 percent of the peloton that's clean or 80 percent of the peloton is clean you know and Mm -hmm. the what what i suffer with is this knowledge that there are great clean riders out there who are getting Mm -hmm. screwed um, and the, oh, for sure. And you know, it's one of those things where as, as a clean rider, if you're going to select an event to try and go be successful at, 
you're much better at doing Liège, Bastogne Liège, Flesh Wallonne, Paris Roubaix, uh, the Tour of Flanders. Those big one day races, mm-hmm. oxygen vector doping doesn't help as much because so many of those efforts are pure red line. And so it's simply a matter right. of strength. Whereas there's nothing on the planet that is so well rewarded. Uh, that has so well rewarded oxygen vector doping as a grand tour. And so if you want to succeed at a grand tour, you are doing something, you know, in terms of microdosing or whatever else, you're doing some form of oxygen vector doping. And the, the awful administration on the part of the UCI, the, you know, the, the WADA is not toothless, but clearly they haven't been given all the teeth they could be. Um, and so these are these are problems that I have. These are problems that have sucked my passion out. You know, it's one of those things where I think back on the complete adoration I had for the tour in 1990, 1991, you know, 99, I had a great time. I didn't think Armstrong was clean, but I just figured the whole Peloton was dirty. And so I was able to live with that. You know, these are the stakes of the game. Well, we have several different rule books that we're working from now. And I really struggle with that. And it's not that Mm. I have this huge moral dilemma that I have yet to sort out. It's just that there are all these problems and it has just killed my passion. You know, this is gotcha. this is water on a campfire. And all I can see now is the gray smoke rising from what used to be a cool campfire. You know, so for anyone out there. It's so interesting, though. Oh, I, and so like that's yeah. so interesting because like the whole thing started as a publicity stunt. And I know that was like 200 <laughs> years ago, but but it did. Yeah. And nobody cared if they were like popping amphetamines and slugging down wine and however they get managed as as far as they weren't yeah. sketching on trains, nobody really cared, yeah. right? But like at some point along the line, and I think it's because unlike American football, where most of us can't even conceive like playing that or being that, like we accept that they're just gladiators and they do what they have to do. Right. Like we just don't have the same mindset with riders yep. and, and increasingly less so, I think. Like we, we just look at them, we don't view them that way Well, as other. Part of... Part of all understanding all this in the proper context is understanding that we didn't have the same societal norms in 1903 as we do now. You know, society right. has changed. Our expectations uh, of the behavior of our athletes has evolved wildly. And much of that owes to the Olympic movement and, you know, what that notion of amateur sport was and what clean sport was. And this, <laughs> Look where that went. <laughs> yeah, this complete, uh, this complete fabrication uh, that, you know, is, is really, uh, that is a big piece of what's at the root of, um, you know, my dissatisfaction and my lack of enthusiasm for it. Um, you know, any, any remaining love of the Olympic movement that I had after all of their problems, when Mark Johnson's book spitting in the soup came out, that (laughs) that's like when you go out on a camp out and you're turning over every last coal to make sure that there's not anything glowing left before you drive away from the campground. That's what that book Mm -hmm. did. (laughs) Wow. 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 
That's that's an image. It's, Wait, there's an ember. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna snuff it out. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, maybe I'll pee on it. Yeah, as <laughs> as disappointing or as dispiriting as so much of Johnson's book was, you know, Spitting in a Soup is arguably one of the more important sporting books that's ever been written. I swear, I mm. absolutely swear. It's it's a, a phenomenal volume. Uh, it is. Uh, it's not an easy read. I mean, it's a it's a dense piece of research. Uh, but yeah. what he exposes in that, there are so many uh, myths that we've been persisting in, um, so many pieces of, of received wisdom that he just shoots holes in. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he turns most of sport into a colander. I, maybe I can... I can, I, and I believe that I could read that, and I could still emerge um, the way I have, still excited to watch these things. And I think whenever I, whenever I, I wrestle with this, I just go back and I'll share with you, Patrick, what my father says should be on my tombstone, and has always said about me. <laughs> He's like, Celine, you could walk over a cesspool and not see the, I'll say crap, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to keep this one clean, but that th- he says that about me all the time. Could walk over a cesspool and not say, I I just, uh, I can see I, how within a family that would be some pretty serious ribbing, but at the same time, <laughs> it's a really lovely observation. You know, I mean, it speaks to your dad really knowing you. Um, oh yeah. And I'm an irrepressible optimist. I mean that you just can't peel off the rose colored glasses, which you know, it serves me well in this life. So I, I guess I'll just keep enjoying the tour. And but I'm an, I'm not done. You know, I, I I act. I try to do my best. I try to use the power of one. But I don't know. Well, I'm still gonna watch the, the tour. The terrific thing is that you know you get to continue to advocate for women's cycling. Um, you know, I I'm trying to do what I can to advocate for women's cycling. It, certainly, you've got a better voice for it, a more credible voice than some white dude. Um, but you know, you can, you can do both. You can have your love for the tour and you can still advocate for women's cycling. And that's a really lovely position to be in. And I don't see why anyone should try to take away your enthusiasm for watching the race. I'm unable to do it. I, I literally haven't seen a moment of this year's tour and I'm actually, you know, it's not like I revel in this. I'm depressed about it. It's July. This used to be my favorite month of the whole flipping year. What if you turned it on? What if you turned it on? Do you think like you would get sucked in? Uh, okay. Okay. Experiment. I will turn the race on one day in the next week and we will have a Do brief... it on Sunday. Do it on we'll Sunday see. if you We'll can. see. But okay. one day <laughs> in the next week, I will turn it on okay. and we will check back in next week and I'll tell you about my experience. I'm going to hold you to that. That's fine. Okay. You're full. I'm I'm going to the back. Okay. Uh, Well, I guess I'm surging through on this one. It's, (laughs) I should, I should probably back off in my acceleration some, but, uh, you know, there's been a lot of news about the tariff war between the U S and nearly everyone else on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, anyone else that we're importing goods from let's, we can't narrow this some. We're levying duties on an incredible number of products. To put this in some perspective, uh, the document that lays out all the various tariffs, 10% tariffs, uh, there's another set of 25% tariffs, but the document that lays out the just the 10% tariffs is 
205 pages long. And each page can have anywhere from about two dozen to four dozen different items on it. And the list, as you can imagine, gets ultra specific. Uh, As a for instance, no more importing bovine semen for free. I I didn't ask. (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) know. But, you know, no more free rides on bovine semen. I, I, yeah, Uh, moving right along. Yeah, moving (laughs) on. You know, but I work in the bike industry. And because I'm concerned about the health of the bike industry, I'm interested in what price increases could do to the health of my industry. So I decided to take a look at just how pervasive the tariffs will be to the bike biz. And what I found was not really exciting. I put I put together a list of, you know, these various categories of items that will be taxed upon import. So broadly speaking, we've got aluminum, just aluminum ore. You know, we've got steel, mm-hmm. the casings that are used for cable housing, you know, the, the steel portion that's inside that vinyl um, casings are being uh, uh, taxed. So tires. Rim strips that are made of natural rubber, but also rim strips that are made of anything other than natural rubber. We've got inner tubes. We've got lights. uh, We've got components for lights. We've got kids' bikes. We've got parts that are worth more than $600 each, but also all the parts that are worth less than $600 each. Um, We've got beyond just steel, we also have steel tubing. We've got brazons. We've got rims, we've got spokes, we've got quick, quick releases, we've got hubs. I don't care how many, how many different gears the hubs will support, and whether it's a free hub or internally geared, hubs, okay? Rim brakes, saddles, pedals, crank sets, both cottered and cotterless, bike computers, and that includes all GPS units. We've got bearings. We've got e-bikes and we've got e-bike motors. Um, And, you know, I should mention that uh, GPS units, bearings, e-bikes, e-bike motors, those are all getting the 25% tariff. Um, You know, it's... it's, What's left? uh, Stuff that doesn't come out of... Well, if it doesn't come out of China, uh, you know... (laughs) Uh, or wow. Canada or a few other places, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so, Fair. you know, 10% may not seem like all that much, um, but it could easily cause a consumer to purchase a lower price model than they might have considered otherwise, at least in terms of a new bike mm-hmm. purchase. You know, I'm reasonably sure anybody who was planning to buy a frame and build it up with Campy Record will still do exactly that and probably not be terribly worried by it, may not see you know, huge increases. Might not even notice. Yeah, Yeah. at least on some of the stuff. But I can really, you know, and this is a much bigger part of the market, I could easily see that someone who is looking at a bike with, say, Shimano's 105 Group downgrading to a bike with Tiagra. And let's face it, there really are way more 105 and Tiagra-equipped bikes sold than stuff with Campy Record. So this means a much bigger bite out of a retailer's bottom line. Um, But, you know, like I said, some of these tariffs are 25%. Uh, and I could see those just killing all sales for Garmin. You know, I could see everybody going, nope, not in, not upgrading anytime soon. Um, and, you know, when you try to think about, well, who's immune to this? It You know, 
it's kind of nobody, you know, from an operation, you know, that's ginormous, like giant, uh, to a tiny little steel frame builder like Chris Bishop, you know, costs are going to rise. Um, you know, uh, there are already uh, companies out there that have been raising prices to try to get on top of some of this. Um, now, what's really interesting is there are actually some exceptions. And, uh, you know, of the various ones I, I found that, you know, really kind of tickled my interest, the most notable of, of the bunch is Allied Cycle Works. So they make their frames in Little Rock, right? It's it's an yep. American workforce. Um, Interesting. Well, they source their prepreg carbon fiber from a manufacturer in Irvine. Now, that surprised me. I could have seen maybe Anaheim or Garden Grove. Uh, Irvine is much more office parky. I don't really think of that place as being manufacturing per se. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, they source uh, from a manufacturer in Irvine. And so their frame sets aren't going to rise by even a single penny. Their CEO, Tony Carklins, is rubbing his hands together. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, if you're going to buy a complete bike, yeah, a lot of the parts on there are going to rise in cost. But, you know, there are actually some opportunities out there. You know, for me, I think the bottom line, my big takeaway is that this is going to harm the bike industry. And I don't see any scenario other than where, you know, a a couple of manufacturers are going to benefit in some way. By and large, everyone's going to suffer. You know, making bikes is an unavoidably global endeavor. There's no way we can turn the clock back on manufacturing centers. It's not going to happen. You know, you want tires made? They're made in Taiwan. You know, some are made in Singapore. Some are made in China. They're not made in America. Uh, You know, and it's just no amount of taxing other goods is going to bring that back. Um, You know, building a a factory to make something like tires or steel tubing is, that's a huge investment. And when you look at all the tooling costs there and what it would take to, uh, to make that money back and just start to break even, you know, American investors won't, won't wait for a 20 year sunset. That's, (laughs) <laughs> you know, no, they're they're on to the next Uber or whatever else. Um, so I'm curious, Lane, you know, in hearing about this, what has your been your takeaway? What what do you what are your concerns? Uh, <laughs> um I, you know, I can't obviously claim to be a global economic uh expert of any sort, but I, I think you don't have to be to see just the baseline global econo- economies that are at play in all of this, right? Like, and I and I, I talk about this actually a lot, just in my daily life with with all these tariffs and consumerism and, and buy American or make American and what all that means. Um, you know, we can't ever go back to not being a global market, right? Like that's yep. that is done, and and I think we can all agree that we want things to be. Um, you know, as fair as they can be for everybody, but they're never going to be completely fair. I mean, that's just the way it is, too. But what, but what, what bothers me, Patrick, is that that so many people here do not want to pay a lot of money for things. I mean, we like Americans like things on the less expensive side, yeah. Right? I mean, that. It, but but we want to be paid for our work. Yep. You know, but we also want a certain minimum wage. Like, so, 
those things just don't co well they could coexist but they're not going to coexist like we if we want things to be made by people who are paying more money then we have to pay more for them yeah you know uh, that's how like how a lot of this started right like we're just going to get things from places where the wages are lower so they can be made lower and then we can come here and then we can buy them cheaper and like this is how the global economy just got rolling and I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying that there isn't room for corrections, and you know, I'm not. This is I'm not going to even get. I'm not getting political, but, but I also think that we have to just be careful to just burn the house down. Yeah, yeah. you know, and like, and I, that's that's what concerns me. I'm not. I'm just not sure. There's so many people on so many levels that can get hurt, not just short term, but long term. You know, the repercussions of this, of these kind of things can can be can be lasting. Um, I have to ask, I was looking at the brain article today. Now, this is not, and correct me if I'm wrong, none of this is actually has a effective date yet, right? Or is, or is it? They've, they've projected uh, a date in August for when this will start. They did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's... Because I know the bike yet. industry wants, wants to have a voice. You know, I'm, I'm in these articles that I've been reading, they want to like, they're trying to come together and like, you know, make a case and maybe maybe go to some he- public hearings or whatever, and just you know, I, I hope they can. You know, I hope somehow this uh, exceptions are know. granted. I'm, more, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's the part that surprised me. I didn't know this, uh, but exceptions can be granted. Um, there's uh, a relative of uh, the resident of the White House uh, whose jewelry re- jewelry line coming out of China uh, that got an exception. So I know they are willing under certain circumstances to grant uh, exceptions. I obviously, uh, I guess, a, a close personal relationship with the White House might help. I don't know that anyone in the bike industry has that, though. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. We're, we're, <laughs> we're all at the mercy of these uh, larger forces, unfortunately. Like, And there's no simple. I, I, yeah, there's no simple answer. Yeah. You know? I, uh, my, my great fear is that this could be something that pushes over, uh, a, pushes a bunch of bike shops over the edge, you know, want, shops that yeah. have been struggling financially. Um, and you know, I, I, I can see how you've got a real dilemma in terms of, okay, you've got this aging inventory, uh, you've got this 2018 inventory that you need to get out the door because, uh, you know, your your brands are pushing you to. Um, right. But when the new inventory comes, it's going to be substantially more expensive. Um, and so you're really disincented to discount that stuff and get it out the door because, you know, you know, you're not going to have inventory that's going to be priced as well com- going forward. Uh, so I don't. I don't know how you settle that as as a retailer. Um, it's you know, it's there's a, a lot to it. It also it, it continues to make cycling or make cycling even more an inaccessible uh, sport for or activity or or transportation for uh, people with lesser means too. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and then you know, just as e-bikes are really starting to get a foothold in the market, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, oh, twenty five percent on top of those. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. I mean. From four to five thousand dollars, boom! Right like that's, that. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe you know 
maybe there's a chance that uh, cooler heads will prevail at some point and all this will get unwound. Um, but I could see the possibility that this may not get unwound for a few years. You know, I can't I can't imagine that this would go on forever. Um, oh, I can't either. But it. it yeah, mm, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to see the light at the end of this one right now. Yeah, it's it's really dispiriting. Um, so, I, you know, to the manufacturers out there, I really feel for them. Same for the retailers. Um, boy, you know, uh, hopefully everybody's got a really nice bike that they're satisfied with or they've gotten a good raise at their job. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's move on to something a little brighter. You know, actually, okay. one little thing I want to inject before we get to the paceline picks. I ran across a story. This is pretty fascinating. Um, there, there's been a study done of Liège Bastogne Liège, uh, looking at foliage and trees and using that to help track global warming. I reported on it in bicycling. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're we got to talk about this some, you know, um, I I saw Nat Geo's uh, piece on it. You know, why don't you talk about it a little bit since you've actually reported? I did. I reported on it. I saw it when it came out in the journal. Um, and it's so interesting. Right. They, they just took um, 36 years of footage from Flanders, you know, because it goes through pretty much the same. Uh, roads. Mm-hmm. It ha- it's one of the races that's that's very unchanged. Yep. So they just um, they have the archives. They have video footage. So these scientists just sat down with it and they went through like two hundred hours of footage. You know of of the same sort of paths that did not change over time. And they made note of I think it was fifty some, but don't hold me to that. I'd have to go back to the story. Species that that cons- were consistently in those frames. And just made note of like, because it's always the same time of year too. Yeah. So they made note of like, um, what was in bloom, what was in flowering, and what the uh, weather was on the day of the race. Yeah. And and then they just tracked it, and they found that things, and it's pretty. Again, I would need to go to the story, but it's remarkable things. Essentially, yes, uh, everything is flowering. Things that hadn't even bloomed or flowered in the nineties. You know, it's an accelerated thing. If you go into the story, you can see, like, it's a very accelerated path of um, things blooming faster. Right. You know, like, before 1990, a lot of things, nothing. Some of the species, none of them had bloomed. None of them leafed out. None of them had flowered. And then by now, like, 67% of them or something like that are. Like, it's a a pretty high number. Um, We can put that, we can link to it, actually, on the website. Yeah. So people can check out more about it. But, it. I mean, it's just... And people, of course, always start arguing and people are blowing up my timeline like this is you know, dinosaurs and man-made and asteroids. And I'm like, I did not say I did not say that I know exactly what is going on, but there's no doubt that something is going on. And we would be fools not to at least notice that yeah. and and react accordingly because stuff like water, weather fires. I mean, this stuff really affects us. So whether or not we can agree on what the heck is causing it or accelerating it, let's all at least come together and be like, hey, look, it re- you know, this is happening. Should What should we be doing to plan or any? Please. Yeah. A little common sense can prevail somewhere, I hope. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, because 
the roads are essentially unchanged from one year to the next. And the spots that are, that are the drama spots from one year to the next don't yep. really change. The places that are really photogenic, you know, that were photogenic last year are photogenic this year. And that has given this group of scientists, you know, this incredible research tool, you know, because, oh, look, it's the same tree that was there last year, you know, caught in no, the same really photo cool. or caught in the same yep. video. Um, and I, I, I just I love the ingenuity behind that. You know, forget whatever answer they're coming up with. Right, um, right. You know, although, yeah, we can note that in 1980, Bernardi no won Liège, Bastogne Liège in a snowstorm. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and last uh, last was reported, he his hands were numb at the finish, but he never got feeling back in two of his fingers. To my knowledge, they've really? never come back. Yeah, Oof. yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, that's a year that there are precious few photos from because the snow was so bad, like right. photographers were getting off the road, wouldn't pull their cameras out, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's not been any snow at LBL since then. So uh, something's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. OK. Paceline picks. All right. So my pick this week is going to go a little off brand. <laughs> Okay. Rather than recommend something explicitly cycling re- related, I'm going to recommend oh. a movie. <laughs> a movie. And it's not even a movie about bicycling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Beatles' Yellow Submarine is being re-released in theaters in celebration of its 50th anniversary. When I was a kid, the film was shown on TV every 4th of July. Yep. I don't really know why, but I loved it. I can at least say that the psychedelic artwork really goes rather nicely with the fireworks. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I'm recommending it is because Yellow Submarine, for me, gets at that same blue sky happiness that the bicycle sends surging through my brain. Yeah, oh, nice. It's just a remarkable piece of work. And for me, my personal favorite artifact from the 1960s pop art movement it is also one of the single greatest examples of psychedelic art out there, something on which I can talk at some length and will spare everyone here. <laughs> but seriously, grab your sweetie and go see it while it's in the theater. It's just lovely. Wow. I have to say, um, before I get to my pick, that I went to see Would You Be My Neighbor yeah. this past weekend, which I... Highly recommend and bring a lot of tissues because it was moving and beautiful. It's the Mr. Rogers movie for yeah. those who don't know. It is, it feels really important right now. Um, anyway, but they had the, they had, they're showing that in the same little theater this weekend, the Yellow Submarine. And I thought when they were showing the trailer, I was just like, wow, that's so psychedelic. Like it's just, so quintessentially psychedelic. You just forget how incredibly psychedelic that thing is. Yeah. So yeah, I, it, it that might that might be a this might might be a weekend uh, see for us too. Then. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, what you got? So my paceline pick has nothing to do with any of that. It's um, <laughs> it it is a very it's a practical therapeutic thing. It is a Theraband Flex Bar Resistance Bar, which is a mouthful, but it's um this is for the mountain bikers, probably mostly the mountain bikers in the house. Um over the years I have had little episodes of lateral epicondylosis, which is uh more commonly called tennis elbow. Oh, okay. And 
Yeah. So, yeah, I know. It's a, it's a mouthful. But it, it's, it's, it's essentially tennis elbow. And mountain bikers sometimes get it because when you have to, like, work your bars with your wrists, like, flicking your bars up and over things a lot through technical terrain, uh-huh. it just can stress out those same tendons that people use when they pitch baseballs or where they hit, you know, with a tennis racket. Yeah. Um, and you'll know it when you get it because you can't even pick up an orange juice carton out of the refrigerator because it just hurts so much in your – yeah, it's it can be wow. really painful and it can be quite persistent. Um, the first time I got it, I you know, started Googling like mad. I'm like, what is this? And I got this. It's just a – it's a hard rubber bar that you twist and um, – Clinicians, and this has actually been researched and published, clinicians have found that eccentric contractions, so sort of like fighting against the resistance of the bar as you twist it so it comes back into form, Uh you get an eccentric contraction through your forearm, and it's amazing how quickly it resolves it. I mean, it kind of hurts while you're doing it, but it's a good hurt. A couple days, and you... you're back to pretty much normal. I mean, it, it huh. resolves it very quickly. A friend of mine who is an enduro racer just recently had a really bad episode. And I'm like, get this thing, get this thing. And I know he was just like rolling his eyes at me. And I was on the ride with him last night. I'm like, how's your arm? He's like, I got that thing. And it was gone in two days. So, um, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it's one of those things like these, these, it can be such a nagging, like all soft test tissue issues can be like tendonitis yep. can be so nagging and so, kind of debilitating and there's such an easy answer for it so it just reminded me like if anyone is dealing with it it's a theraband flex bar and it it really it helps a lot any you know even honestly if you need help with your grip strength or your forearm strength for any particular cycling application it's it's Uh useful for that too wow very cool i mean that thing you're holding it looks like something that got pushed out of a play-doh mold you know, it does. That's a great. That's a great analogy. It looks just like yeah, that. I remember but yeah, you that just sh- twist it. I and remember then it... that shape from the the Play-Doh squeezer thingy. Um, it looks exactly like that. You're yeah, correct. But wow, just twisting it is what will yep, you, clear up. You twist it and then you resist against it going back into its its regular form. So you're just resisting against the the hard rubber as it's untwisting uh-huh. itself, and with the affected arm in it, it's amazing how well it works. Huh. Yeah. How much does it go for? Oh, it's like 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. yeah, nice and inexpensive. I mean, a hunk of rubber, you'd hope that it wasn't, wouldn't be expensive. <laughs> totally, totally. But I actually, um, I lost mine and I panicked and I bought another. And then, of course, I found it. Um, so, now <laughs> I have to, so now I have two. Well, you can do one with your feet at this point. Uh, there you go. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. What do you got this weekend, Celine? What do I have this weekend? Um, a few of us might go mountain biking up at Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Um, for the people who mountain bike in the house, it's it's one of those iconic um, places in Pennsylvania that, that that was super super popular early in the, the the heyday of mountain biking. It's it's pretty remote. It's very technical. Lots of East Coast rocks kind of stuff. Um, haven't been there for a couple of years actually. It's it's one of those places where you go and and things just happen. Like you plan to do thirty ro- thirty miles, and last time we were there, some guy lost all five chain bolts out of his chain ring. <laughs> so and it just yeah, that's that's a Jim Thorpe ride. So we each took a bolt out of ours and we put his back on, so we could continue going on. But it's it's the kind of place where. I don't know what like what apparitions and ghosts live in those hills, but they mess with you. So you plan you got to plan on eleven hours just for your day. Like you're not going to be home by noon. Hopefully wow. you don't need lights. Yeah, but it's 
it's it's it's always a good time. So we'll see. I, I, that's that seems to be what might be on tap. How about you? Did you ever find those waterfalls? What are you doing? <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> so I did exactly what I said I'd do. You know, I got up early Saturday. Uh, took off out there, got on the descent. And the thing is, the descent down to where I needed to go is super exposed and gets really hot. That's why I wanted mm-hmm. to get it early. So I get down to the creek. I step into the creek and the water's like 39 degrees. <laughs> it was like, whoa. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't really coming up over my knees, but I'm walking along and I'm not walking very long before I get to this cluster of downed trees that looks like something out of Pet Cemetery. I mean, it's hmm. just this huge complex of trunks all on top of each other. And I'm looking at that going, I'm alone. Chances are I'm going to either end up with a broken arm, broken ankle, broken wrist, or some combination thereof. You know, being by myself, this is this is just not the way to do this. I thought yeah. from what the guy said, I would just kind of walk up a creek turn left and you know oh look water no 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 um and it's one of those things where yeah i could have persisted and you know gone on up there and found it but the whole thing for me was i wanted something i could take my boys to and i'm looking at that going my five-year-old would die he'd love (laughs) it but he'd die and you know then i'd be a bad parent and you know i got enough of that already (laughs) <laughs> yeah, prudence. Prudence is the good one there. Yeah. So part of this weekend will be a little different. I just heard this morning about uh, one of the local clubs organizing a team time trial uh, for this coming to uh, this next Tuesday. Uh, and so I'm just trying to round up a bunch of guys. Let's let's go do this. Oh, cool. I don't care if we oh, have that'd be fun. You know, maybe I'll be able to get some people out and do a little rehearsal on Saturday. But yeah, next Tuesday, a team time trial. And it's like. I miss those. So I'm just going to do it. I don't care if I show up with three people and I'm not an official finisher because we don't have a fourth, but I just want to go do it. It's like, yeah, let's do that. Cool. Well, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Okay. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for my other new podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's guest is frame builder Leonard Zinn talking about the new edition of his book, Zinn and the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance. Finally, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, thanks for listening to The Pace Line.